0: We are entering a new age of computing like never before. Welcome to AVM Cloud, where you have access to future ready cloud solutions, where you can enjoy the highest level of security for your data, where your digital transformation begins. AVM Cloud, your cloud done right. Transform your business today with Malaysia's leading cloud provider at avmcloud.net. This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to Matt's Plain today. My name is Rich Bradbury. Of course, I am joined by Matt Armitage from Culture Pop. And in case you didn't listen to last week's episode of Matt's Plain, it was all about quiet quitting. Uh, a movement where people refuse to do anything uh, except their job. Uh, As I'm only here to ask questions, I've decided not to introduce this week's episode.
1: Hey Rich, um, no that's absolutely fine because I was only going to use the intro to get you to start a a scurrilous rumour anyway, so you've probably just dodged a a lawsuit, so no issues. Um, But it's actually rumours and lawsuits where we're starting today. Um, In case you'd missed the press release, the gossip news site Gawker is back in action. It uh, actually launched very quietly about a year ago, and it spent the last few months sort of uh, re-cementing its reputation for fair and balanced news. Um, were I'm you? Uh, yes. Uh, were you a fan of the uh, the original site, the original Gawker? Uh,
0: well, I mean, I, I read it every now and again. You know, I, was I a subscriber? Not really. Did I take interest in the Hulk Hogan story? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I mean, kind of the same as me. I was actually a lot more interested in um, Gorka's other media sites, uh, most of which are still running, things like, you know, Gizmodo, Lifehacker, Mm. um, Jezebel. 9 I think. Uh, Yeah, that's been merged with uh, Gizmodo, Uh, Jalopnik, if you're into the cars as well. Um, But most of those sites still operate as kind of a group. They were bought by uh, the U.S. media group Univision, which runs a lot of uh, Spanish language TV stations in the U.S. But Gawker itself uh, is now under the uh, Bustle Media Group. Um, And also, you know, check out some of their sites. Um, Inverse and Mike are both really good sites if you want kind of a fresh look at tech and innovation and pop culture. Um, Now, Richard sort of alluded to the backstory of Gorka a bit. Um, (laughs) Gorka was a a gossip site that ran a very fine line between uh, news and muckraking. So um, there were the sex tapes of celebs. Um, The site and some of its channels also had a reputation for outing prominent people Mm -hmm. uh, as gay, Um, one of whom was the Silicon Valley venture capitalist, Peter Thiel. Um, So when the site ran a sex tape of uh, uh, Hulk Hogan, Hogan sued with the help of Thiel. Basically, Thiel helped to bankroll that. And the eventual judgment and settlement of that suit effectively put Gawker out of business. So Gawker, the blog site, closed in 2016 while the rest of Gorka Media's sites continued to trade under the Univision Group. Do you think
0: there's like uh, space for a site like Gorka in, in today's media market, or are we just awash with them nowadays?
1: Well, I mean, social media has kind of become what Gorka yeah. was. You know, so much has changed since uh, 2016. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, I really have trouble remembering Anything that happened <laughs> yeah. as far back as 2016, the whole of that sort of 20s decade, it seems a lot more remote than the noughties do to mm, me. For mm. some reason, I can remember 2000 to 2010, but after that, up until the pandemic, is just kind of erased from my blur. memory. Yeah, it's just gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um you know, there was a lot of discussion at that time about whether the, the Gorka trial would set a precedent for very rich people suing news media they didn't like out of existence. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we entered the era of fake news and all the rich people realized that they don't need to sue them out of existence. They just need to make public appearances and say fake news along with fake a side news. order of yeah of word salad and it goes away um and i i think i read this point somewhere so i'm not claiming credit for it but the media environment now you know left right wherever you are on the spectrum is a lot more conservative um in that it's a lot more serious maybe it's down to the age of uncertainty that we're living through maybe it's down to the changes from the pandemic but things are a lot less silly. We hmm. seem to take everything seriously. Even having fun is something that we take seriously.
0: Except on this show, of course.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, here we try and show the upside of the looming apocalypse. Um, but, you know, <laughs> silly silly isn't inconsequential. Um, you know, most of the, the comedy that I like, Is silly. Uh, I was on a a bit of Culture recently, and I recommended a book, um, James Acaster's Guide to Quitting Social Media. Now, obviously, that's by the British comedian uh, James Acaster. If you don't know him, he does have Netflix specials, so you can check him out. Uh, And if you do want to read the book, try the audio book, because Acaster narrates it himself. So it's kind of like listening to a seven-hour stand-up show. And it is just pure silliness. Um, you know, the book market's full of these celebrity guides on how to live your life. So when James mm-hmm. A. Custer decided to quit social media, he wrote a book about it. But the book isn't a guide to quitting social media. It's a completely surreal fictional narrative about quitting social media, but then replicating it in real life. So he talks about setting up social media networks with other social media quitters and they all meet together in a village hall they plan viral <laughs> campaigns that involve cycling around villages and manually putting leaflets through 2 million letterboxes you know it's kind of it's kind of like the famous five meets facebook but without all the racism (laughs) um so listening to it was just you know pure escapism um -hmm. whereas listening to supposed tech visionaries can often leave you thinking that you're listening to the rantings of people who are deranged yeah so it was really fun to listen to an entirely pointless and completely untrue account of a celebrity's time away from social media
0: great review matt um is there any connection to gorka
1: yes because the revised <laughs> okay, gorka the revised gorka has that same sense of silliness you know it mixes up ah. kind of news items and plain stupidity so on the main page this week is a love letter to the ellipsis Um, Yes, the dot, dot, dot that you write, those three punctuation dots. There's also a story about Jimmy Fallon's hairline and a breaking news item about Meghan Markle, the British Queen, and an argument about an egg. Um, Have, Have they
0: hired writers from The Onion?
1: Well, I mean, it's got that feel, but supposedly the stories are all true. Um, But actually, it's been the site's coverage of the UK's reaction to the British Queen's death that has popped it up on people's radar again, Mm. uh, simply because there hasn't seemed to be any media space for anything except very serious, po-faced reactions to her death, hence Mm -hmm. the story about Meghan Markle, the Queen, and an egg. Um, So this Mm. was, you know, the bit I mentioned earlier that was an observation that I'd read and that I can't claim credit for. Um, But it does seem that we're in for a slightly gentler and less abrasive Gorka this time around, which I'm all for because, like we said, the old Gorka has kind of become social media. I think people have had enough of this kind of vituperative, spiteful mm. type of content that has proliferated across the social uh, the social universe. This is a nice antidote to that. It's silly. It's mocking. Sometimes it's barbed, but it isn't cruel.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to to find a theme for today's episode, though. So far, so far at least, anyway.
1: Well, shame nobody's going to describe you as uh, barbed but not cruel. And <laughs> anyway, we are over halfway to the break, so we don't have time to explore your numerous struggles. So we will go from one voice of a generation to the next. Um, James Earl Jones, he will forever... Yeah. Be the voice of my generation. Um, Spoiler alert, in case you haven't seen Star Wars yet, uh, the words, Luke, I am your father, um, had entire cinema halls of 10 year olds bouncing in their seats with what the heck expressions on their faces, you know, turning to their parents and their friends in shock, you know, what just happened? Um, But now it seems that the iconic master of uh, Darth Vader's voice, that same James Earl Jones, has decided that he wants to retire from actively voicing the character that he's become synonymous with. But that doesn't mean that someone else is going to have to learn to do those trademark deep breathing sounds, you know, in the same way that we've had lots of people doing Kermit the Frog. Um, And in fact, viewers of the uh, recent Disney show Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I still haven't watched yet because... Ewan McGregor is almost as yawn worthy as Hayden Christensen when it comes to the Star Wars films. It's I mean, good. Is it? Well, I'll I'll yeah. watch. I'll watch.
0: And watch watch sorry, watch Andor as well.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm Pokemon. gonna I'm gonna wait for Andor to advance a little bit so I can watch more than uh, a couple of episodes at once. But um but viewers of Obi-Wan Kenobi have already been treated to the AI version of Vader's voice, which was created by a specialised voice synthesis company in Ukraine called Respeecher.
0: Just quickly before we move on, a bit of trivia for you here. Do you know James Earl Jones was paid $1 million for saying one line?
1: Uh, It wouldn't surprise me. Um, It's like the, uh, the thing of Marlon Brando getting paid millions for being in one of the superman films for about 30 seconds.
0: All he said was this is CNN. 1 million dollars. There you go. Anyway, um <laughs> back to the re-speecher thing. Is that why it sounds similar to the early Star Wars movies? Cuz it does. Yeah.
1: yeah, it does. Um so the company used the library of footage from the movies and I think James Earl Jones assisted them as well because obviously his voice has changed over the years. Yeah. The, yeah. the way he sounds now is not the way he did 45 years ago when the movie first came out. I mean, can you believe Star Wars came out 45 years ago? And um, no. just to scare you even more, Citizen Kane came out 35 years before Star Wars. So there's already a larger generational and cultural gap between us and Star Wars than there was between Citizen Kane and Star Wars. Um, not to mention that James Earl Jones is now 91 years old. Um, So because um, Obi-Wan is a prequel to the movies or a a precursor, Disney wanted Vader to sound like he did in the original movies. Mm. Um, Now, of course, the Star Wars franchise has had some issues with uh, digitally digitally created or recreated characters in the past. Uh, My old friend Jar Jar Binks seems to be one of the internet's most hated movie creations. And the repeated reappearances of Carrie Fisher's Princess Leia, um, mm-hmm. you know, they finally buried her, but it was actually two movies after she died in real life. Um, so they haven't had a great reputation with the way that they've kind of used this kind of um, CGI or these recreations yeah, yeah. of characters. So James L. Jones has granted permission for his voice to be used, for it to be repatinated so you can hear his voice at all kind of different stages of the, the Star Wars saga. But his agreement with Disney seems to be that he has a consulting role on the development of uh, Vader's arc within any story. So oh. I guess in kind of much the same way that Stan Lee became integral to the Marvel movies.
0: Is uh, Reese Speecher w- well known for this kind of work there?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, okay, thanks for bringing me back there. Yeah, I kind of got lost welcome, in Star Wars for, for a minute there. I've, I've given book reviews, movie reviews, everything except tech on today's show. Um, there's a, a great piece uh, on Vanity Fair by the writer uh, Anthony Bresnikan about the company. So, Respeecher has become the go-to company for creating these kind of um, uh, official speech-to-text deep fakes. And according to Disney's uh, reps, it's able to capture the emotional quality of the voices uh, it creates with a lot greater depth than its rivals. Um, So much so that if you search YouTube for a compilation of all the Vader clips from that disney show uh, you wouldn't really know it's a machine i mean it just mm. sounds so so natural um but what's really interesting about this the story is that when the company was rushing to finish all of these voice edits for the show earlier this year it was actually at the same time that russia invaded ukraine mm-hmm. so the team was doing much of the work from inside makeshift air raid shelters um in basements and bathrooms, where they were located in Kyiv and Lviv. Um, There were frequent internet and utility outages. And despite the ongoing war, the employees are still working on other Hollywood projects while doing things like volunteering to help war victims. Um, you know, I know we need to go into the break, but I brought this up because, you know, when we think about AI, we usually just think about the machines and we think how incredibly complex, how capable and amazing those machines are. Mm. But stories like this about Respeecher help us to remember the enormous talent and the work of the humans and, you know, the circumstances they live in and this is the work that shapes those machines and their output.
0: Brilliant. Um, this is Matt Splained. Can, am I going to get a million dollars for that? I'm not, am I?
1: Are you? Well, I'll pay you a million something.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you will. Folks, we're going to take a short break here, but when we come back, um, I think we're talking a little bit about crypto and energy. That's something that's coming up, correct?
1: I think so, yes. I forgot right. to give you an outro.
0: You did. This is Matt Splain here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Banana from Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
0: BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt's Splained. I'm Rich Bradbury. Um, Do you think maybe we dug just a little bit too deep into that Star Wars story um, than you might have intended, Matt?
1: Hmm? I mean, it's not like I need an excuse to talk about Star Wars. Um, But on the subject of digging um, and a very clumsy segue, um, Ethereum, the uh, crypto colossus that isn't Bitcoin uh, recently completed its long-awaited event, The Merge, a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks ago. Um, Without getting too deep into the weeds, um, it basically means that Ethereum moved from being what's known as a proof, uh, a proof-of-work currency, meaning that a decentralized network of servers helped to validate uh, the blockchain. And in turn, uh, the people running uh, those servers were rewarded with new um, Ether tokens. Uh, That's basically the crypto mining process that uh, people talk about. And that's that thing that's very energy intensive. Mm -hmm. That's long been one of the arguments against cryptocurrencies and blockchain related commodities like NFTs, because the energy required to mint tokens and sustain those blockchains uh, is excessive and unsustainable. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you scale it up, um, it could prevent the widespread adoption of blockchain based systems simply because they'd be too costly and any energy efficient to inefficient rather to maintain um, because the new staked protocol requires less verification. um, the process is much less energy intensive. As a result, fewer tokens are awarded to these systems that then help to verify the blockchain.
0: Now, as somebody who um, does, in fact, own Ether, uh, putting my hand up here, and I already know the answer to this, but I am going to ask you as if I don't know the answer, as if I'm just (laughs) some nobody on the street, what kind of energy savings are we likely to see as a result of these changes, Matt?
1: You're not a nobody on the street, Richard. You're in a studio. Um, oh, usually we'll oh. say something like, <laughs> this is a a 2% energy reduction. Okay, I, I apologize for that last one. It was very cheap. Yeah. Um Uh, You know, usually we say something like, this is a 2% energy reduction, um, because the energy consumption is uh, so enormous. Um, Mm. You know, 2% still represents blah, 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 whatever. Mm. Um, But very rarely do you get to say something like this. The energy savings are 99.5%. Now, I'll say that again in case anyone thought I stuttered or misspoke or insulted anyone as I did a few minutes ago. That is a cut of 99.5%. Now, oh. some, some <laughs> estimates put the network's energy use at uh, roughly equivalent to that of Hong Kong. Mm. Now- I don't know if anyone remembers those satellite images from a few years ago, the ones where the satellite captured images of South Korea and northwest China at night. So you had all these bright spots from towns and cities and road networks, and this huge black space in the middle, which was North Korea. And that's basically what these energy savings are. It's like those satellite images. It's that, that picture going dark at night. Yeah. It's like we've lost a country's worth of energy emissions just with the flick of a switch.
0: Um, and so what have been, uh, what has been rather, the result of the merge so far?
1: Well, a lot of uncertainty in the companies and groups that did a lot of that mining, um, even though this wasn't unexpected. So the Ethereum developers have been planning this uh, this switch for years and they've actually pushed the timeline numerous times because it had to be perfect. It had to be seamless. If you make that switch and the chain is disrupted, it's disconnected, or parts of it are destroyed, that would have huge reputational and financial consequences for the chain. Um, but one of my favorite consequences is Strangely, the good news it represents for gamers. Um, mining requires the same same kind of high end GPU cards that gamers use. Over the last few years, we've seen enormous demand for GPUs for mining and subsequently a shortage of the cards, as well as these massive price surges on secondary markets. Uh, This year, we've seen a glut of uh, uh, used graphics cards hitting sites like eBay, Um, not just because of Ethereum. The plummet in crypto prices this year has made mining for a lot of the chains unprofitable. So a lot of miners have been selling off their hardware. And makers like NVIDIA have reported very soft demand For many of their high-end products Mm -hmm. so these changes with ethereum only add to that situation so if you're thinking about updating your gaming rig to a state-of-the-art graphics processing unit now is a really really good time to to go shopping especially on that secondary market
0: and how have the um markets uh responded to the merge
1: Well, this is the thing. In theory, the merge should make Ethereum more stable because people can choose to invest in the currency and then choose to stake their Ether. Uh, So, you know, it's backed. It's more like a traditional currency or asset in a lot of ways. But that transition has drawn the attention of um, uh, Elon Musk's good old friends at the Securities and Exchange Commission. So the head of the SEC, Gary Gensler, made uh, comments to the Wall Street Journal recently that indicated that the commission may view the new structure of the uh, currency in the same way that it views securities. And that could lead to much greater um, oversight and regulation. So as a result, since the merge, prices have been volatile and the currency is down all by about 10%, I think, over over the figures of last month.
0: I mean, this is incredible, man. I mean, absolutely incredible. We're actually in danger of turning into a proper tech show.
1: I know, book reviews, tech show. I mean, what what more could you ask? Um, But it's okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about space now so everybody can... Switch off and and leave. But um, I
0: like space. I'm
1: I having like, a week. Okay, I know. Yeah. um uh, Earlier this week, NASA did something unthinkable. They crashed one of their rockets into an asteroid. Now, normally, this would be the worst kind of news. Um, no space agency wants to lose contact with a craft during mission, but this was a little bit different. On Tuesday, NASA's DART spacecraft was deliberately crashed into a 160-meter-wide asteroid called Dimorphos, which is about 10 million kilometers away from Earth. Now, there are a bunch of things that are astonishing about this. For starters, that we can spot uh, an <laughs> asteroid that's the size, smaller than the Eiffel Tower and um, that's 10 million kilometres away, we can see it. Um, it's doubly astonishing that we can then pilot a ship into it and that it only missed the centre mass by about 17 metres. I mean, that that's is... Bonkers. I mean that yeah, that's just a bonkers level of accuracy. Um, and the purpose of the launch and crash wasn't just to see how accurately we can throw something into space. Um, it was to do that thing that we see in space movies all the time—to see if you can change the course of space rocks by blowing them up with rockets. Well, not blowing them up, but just hitting them with rockets uh, with rockets so dart stands for double asteroid redirection test um i mean firstly it's just a cool name for a spacecraft yeah, yeah. um and they were trying to redirect to asteroids you can actually watch the crash on nasa's youtube channel and the dart was sending back high-res images every few seconds up until the moment of impact. So there are these incredible shots of the rocks littering the surface of the asteroid just before it hit.
0: And what are the chances that they interrupted somebody's lunch, eh?
1: Well, you know, it's probably not the asteroid that Bruce Willis (laughs) marooned himself on in uh, Deep Impact. Um, You know, imagine if the last uh, shot the probe sent back was a close-up of Willis's face as he realises, oh, no, it's not a rescue mission. i imagine can, well yeah or, or some things that we can't say on air um, you know it will be a few weeks before nasa and scientists at uh, john hopkins university's applied physics laboratory um, know if it was actually successful in shifting the rock's orbit Um, As I said, DART stands for Double Asteroid Redirection. So Dimorphos orbits a larger rock in what's known as a binary system. Uh, The early signs are promising um, because the idea is if you change the orbit of Dimorphos, you change the orbit of the larger rock that's part of that system. Mm. Um, It would show that if this is successful, we do have a defense system to prevent the kinds of impacts that wiped out the dinosaurs and in case you are a disaster tourist um there's no chance that nasa has nudged the rocks into an intersection orbit with earth because i know some people will be worrying about that they chose these rocks because they pose no threat to our planet either before or after the test
0: okay um you got more impacts for us right
1: I do. Um, So Hurricane Fiona is a a Category 1 storm that brought extensive damage to uh, Puerto Rico, uh, knocking out most of their... Power grid over the last sort of week or so. Uh, It also did a lot of uh, damage on the east coast of Canada, where coastal homes were swept away by surging tides. Now, as part of a pilot program uh, with a startup called Sail Drone, the US National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, um, sailed one of seven sail drones operating in the Atlantic and Gulf of Mexico into the eye of the hurricane where it's too dangerous for most ships to venture knowingly. Um, they sent it in there to take video footage and uh, collect data amongst 20-metre high waves and 150-kilometre-an-hour winds. So there's some really cool footage of the drone inside the eye. Um, links are in the show notes, or you can just uh, check out Noah's Twitter feed. The idea is that in the future, drones like this will be able to help scientists better predict the destructive potential of the storms and the tidal surges that accompany them.
0: Sorry, I, you you won't have seen that, but I was almost just giggling there where you said uh, checking out Noah's Twitter feed. Entirely different <laughs> idea up in my head, but <laughs> anyway. Well, I mean, um,
1: if you think about it, it's not, it's not that far away. I mean, Noah is an ocean administration, yeah. so they are the ark.
0: Well, there you go. Now, um, we're almost done, I know that, uh, but it is tradition, as as you know, to round off these episodes with a bit of a weird one, and I'm sure you've got one up your sleeve.
1: Well, I mean, I don't know what world you're living in if you think it's not weird that we can smack a rocket into an astro- uh, asteroid and do the sci-fi movie thing, that we can uh, make ourselves a new James Earl Jones, but, you know, I live to please, as everyone knows. Um... If you're not a, a fan of creepy crawlies, this is my trigger warning. You might want to pretend that the episode just ends here. Um, earlier this month, an international team of scientists led by Kenjiro Fukuda at Riken University in Japan published a paper documenting their creation of, I should have a drum roll for this really, cyborg cockroaches. Yeah. Um, now, I'm pausing here because I know that the idea of cyborg cockroaches raises a lot of questions, chiefly. Why? uh, How? And is there a DC (laughs) Universe villain behind it all? So um, let me go with how first, because that's the simpler one. Uh, The scientists chose Madagascar cockroaches because um, they're large. They can grow up to uh, two and a half inches, which I think is about 10 or 12 centimetres. And uh, they're wingless.
0: Uh, you know we're going out at lunchtime right and you know pretty much and this isn't really helping with listeners sense of revulsion and disgust and
1: i i know but the size is actually a crucial factor because it allowed the scientists to fit the insects with a kind of remote controlled backpack that's powered by solar cells now i can see richard's face right now which uh, listeners can't so um, it's a joy uh the the scientists can use the backpacks to stimulate the circe of the insects which uh, function a bit like nerve endings allowing them to be remote piloted um so you can actually make them go in whatever direction you want by stimulating these kind of proto-nerve endings so that's the how in a, a very short uh, manner uh, mm-hmm. why um, yeah why at the moment uh moving cockroaches where you want them to go is kind of moot because the only place <laughs> most people want them to go is away um the scientists are hoping that in the future they can add elements like sensors and cameras to the backpacks and also use them on other Insects, things like beetles and cicadas. There are a a wide range of potential applications. Uh, They could uh, be used for monitoring agricultural or forested land. They could be sent um, into locations that people can't go. So there are a lot of potential industrial uses and maybe even to use them in search and rescue missions. So being sent into the rubble of a collapsed building, for example. Mm, mm. Now... Why? Why would you use a uh, uh, you know a, a a cyborg insect rather than a robot? Well, robots and drones typically have very short battery lives. The cyber roaches, of course, power themselves. The backpacks are only sending signals to them that that guide them. Otherwise, they're biological entities that mm. power themselves. So that increases the amount of time that you can deploy them effectively in the field
0: just just picture this just for a second right you find yourself buried under rubble <laughs> and then the next thing you have a swarm of um cyber cockroaches crawling toward you and that that's the the thing that you're looking at or you can see and feel and he- oh my word i don't know well
1: Take, take it a stage further and imagine that Reese Beecher have given them James L. Jones' uh, Vader voice.
0: <laughs> I have found him. All <laughs> right. anyway, um, you um, did make a, a point of mentioning um, superhero villain, uh, villains.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is, I mean, we mentioned Vader, but there's something very kind of Lex Luthor about this, or yeah. even that kind of, that image of the 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 uh, i don't know if you remember one of the batman movies where the penguin put um bombs and rockets on penguins and and sent them to blow up gotham um mm. you know so you there's kind of that image about it but there is a, a coder to this story there's two coders actually um we don't have time for this story but a scientist at scotland's heriot watt university has created a cockroach killing laser that's mounted on an automatic camera equipped turret uh, turret uh, i'll do a quick story about that on the culture pop substack so you can head over there for that but back to the cyborgs um such has been the um the the I guess outcry isn't the right word, but the horrified <laughs> reaction of many people to the story. That in a follow up interview with Reuters, um, Kenjiro Fukuda stressed that there are no sinister purposes behind this research and that they were only looking at positive uses of this insect army, like search and rescue. So, yeah, you know, next time you see a cockroach, check to see if it's wearing a backpack. Before you hit it with your slipper. Uh,
0: thank you very much for that, Matt. Um, now, uh, my pleasure. Where can people find out more information? Where should they go to? Tell them about your Substack. Uh,
1: okay, they can go to the uh, culturepop.substack.com. There's more information about the shows, other stories that I come up with during the week. It's, uh, I mean, you can just go and read it, or you can subscribe to it. It's, it's free. There's audio on there as well as uh, written content. Um, otherwise, just go to uh, culturepop.com.
0: Lovely. Uh, and if you want to download the podcast another way, you can download the BFM app and you can download and listen to it there at your leisure. That's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. We'll be back same time, same place next week for Matt Blend. I'm Rich Brambury, And of course, that was Matt Armitage. Uh, for Matt Blend here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.